Hi, I'm Annie Fadley, and I'm here to welcome you to Quick Pitch, the first installment of a series of Pitchfork Economics bonus episodes, hosted by my boss, Zach Silk, the president of Civic Ventures. So Quick Pitches are going to be short and sweet analyses of timely topics that didn't quite make it to a full episode this season. If you're listening to bonus content, then you're pretty hardcore. You might just be a policy wonk, and our office has deep, deep affection for you. This quick pitch is about the middle-class tax cuts that never were. My name is Zach Silk, and I'm the president of Civic Ventures. I'm Stephanie Irvin. I run a lot of our advocacy and campaign work here at Civic Ventures. Civic Ventures is a shop of political troublemakers. We're trying to make a difference in the world and make sure that we have a big impact on the social fabric of the country and improve people's lives. Uh, We've been brought together to take on the big challenges that are often left unaddressed by others. We work nationally and locally. Um, We have a very specific way of approaching problems, and we try to uh, understand them as structural problems and what are underneath rather than uh, attacking the symptoms we're trying to get at the disease. The most important work we've been doing is related to what we call political economy, which is the intersection of politics and economic policy. And inside of that, we've done a lot of work. Um, We were at the early stages of the fight for 15. We've worked on overtime at the national level, at the local level. We've been incubating new policy ideas on how to create labor standards for the 21st century. Um, And we've been both impactful in our local community, but also at the national stage. Let's talk taxes. So last year, the Republican Congress and Donald Trump passed what they were promising was going to be this great Christmas gift, the best Christmas gift ever to the middle class, a huge middle class tax cut. So we have a year of reflecting to do. What actually happened in your opinion? Well, there's a few things that were going on. Um, The most important thing to remember is that people were not clamoring uh, for a tax cut. You know, the 2016 election was not fought on taxes. Um, There have been elections in American past where that was a prominent part of the conversation headed into the election. That just was not the case in 2016. People were concerned about a lot of things, but taxes were not one of them. So they were trying to solve a problem that people didn't identify. That left really an odd uh, dissonance where people, you know, they were offering up a solution to a problem that people didn't readily identify. And that made it a very, very difficult sales pitch for them. So that's the first problem that they were running into. And then, of course, the second one was how they designed that tax code. It was basically designed as a giveaway to the very rich and corporations. And we understand here at Civic Ventures a lot about kind of human nature and what what human nature does for how you understand politics. And one of the most important principles in human nature is that we are uh, reciprocal creatures. We care about reciprocity, which is basically this idea of fairness that you can get yours as long as I get mine and that it feels fair. It's not equal, but it feels fair. And that tax code did not feel fair. It basically was a giant giveaway to the wealthy and to corporations. And the average person just didn't see much for it. And they designed that. There were a thousand different ways they could have designed that package. And probably 990 of those ways would have really truly benefited regular average taxpayers. But they decided to go with this really narrow case where they rewarded the very wealthy and um, regular people saw right through it. 
They also did a couple of other crazy things, of course, which is they decided that they were going to punish people who paid, uh, who were able to deduct state and local taxes. They were going to shrink your ability to, to do your mortgage deduction. Uh, these were things that are targeted directly at the middle class. Um, and so not only were they going to reward their friends and their very wealthy allies and donors, but they were going to directly punish middle class voters. And what you ended up seeing, of course, was they got revenge in the 2018 election, and uh, they tossed them all out, mostly in these places that were suburban enclaves of middle-class voters that used to vote Republican on taxes. And they, they had a revolt. The irony, of course, is that when Republicans passed this, you had Mitch McConnell saying to reporters over and over and over again that this would be the thing that they were selling in the 2018 election to uh, deserve another term for all of their senators and all their members of Congress. So what actually happened in the 2018 cycle? Yeah, I mean, there are you can read quotes over and over again. Mitch McConnell, uh, Paul Ryan, Donald Trump. Grover Norquist, you name them, they all said that they were going to run on this incredible tax package, and it was going to be what secured uh, Republican majorities and carried them to an incredible victory. It just turned out they couldn't be any more wrong. You know, the reality is that people uh, were not clamoring for a tax cut. They already felt like the economy wasn't working for them. And so they created this complete mythology that if we cut these taxes, it was going to benefit regular people. They even promised that you would, an average person would see a $4,000 wage increase if they passed these tax codes. Now, the reality, of course, was that never came. And the wealthy got wealthier and everybody else got screwed. And the thing about our political system is our democracy may be under assault, but it still works. There's a really incredible feedback loop that ends up happening. When you make promises and you don't deliver, voters will punish you. And so they made these outlandish promises. They couldn't deliver and they got punished. I think the other thing that was really interesting is they tried a thousand different ways to sell this thing. The, I think the um, Coke industry, you know, the Coke brothers and their entire apparatus spent something like $25 million selling this. They had all the U.S. Chamber and others doing advertising on this. It wasn't like it wasn't a product with a ma massive marketing campaign. It just was a terrible product. So now that we're in December of 2018, you've seen records amount of stock buybacks. Some in the summer were predicting that they would actually reach almost a trillion dollars at the end of this calendar year. Um, and that's largely what happened with a lot of the tax cuts that went to business. They went and bought their own stocks back and had sort of a temporary inflation in the market. But where do you see us sitting today and what's the direction you would advise that we move forward? Yeah, I mean, the thing that ended up being true. I mean, Paul, Paul Ryan was really clear about his intentions with these tax cuts. He wanted to make it easier for corporations to evade taxes. He didn't use it that way. He talked about, quote unquote, modernizing our tax code, making us competitive with our international partners. But really what he wanted to make sure was that corporations were going to pay less in taxes. He has totally bought the trickle down lie that if we allowed them to pay less taxes, that they were going to invest that to create growth. And the truth of the matter is, all they're doing is buying their own stock. And that loop basically means that they are paying less taxes and putting more money into wealthy people's pockets. Nobody wins but the wealthy. And that is a huge problem as we're staring down record income inequality. And 90% of the American people have seen their wages flat. There's been a little bit of increase in 
in uh, wages in, over the last year, but almost all of that is due to what we've been doing to raise minimum wages. It's not really to do with anything about corporations deciding to share the wealth that came from these tax cuts. So it's a big problem. I mean, the country is at a real crossroads here about how we order our economy, and tax policy is one of the ways that we do that. And we had an opportunity where we could have supported the middle class and asked the, re- the wealthy and corporations to pay their fair share, and we missed that opportunity. And as we head into the next set of things, very likely there'll be a recession. There may be some natural disaster or some other cataclysmic event. We will not have taxes as one of the tools that we could have in our pocket to help fix this. The last thing we needed as under a hot economy was a big stimulative tax cut. And we're already seeing that most of that money went to the wealthy. It didn't build a strong middle class. And now when we face our next challenge, we're not going to have all the tools necessary to face it. So we had this big tax plan from Republicans just over a year ago in December of 2017. But is the future that this set in motion, the future that we have to be stuck with forever, or can we do something about it? Well, I think it's easy to get fatalistic about this and think that this, once they pass these tax cuts, there's no way to raise taxes again. Um, I think that that is a common way for progressives to be browbeaten by our opponents. But the reality is that that is, you know, we've been able to raise taxes before. I mean, Ronald Reagan passed a giant tax cut in the early 80s and then went on to raise taxes something like 11 different times from that point forward. Of course, George Bush passed, uh, W. Bush, that is, passed a giant tax cut after he was elected in 2000. They passed a tax cut in 2001. And then, you know, Barack Obama and his administration was able to raise taxes. So this is going to come back around, there is a pendulum effect here, and we are going to have to absolutely have a conversation. Uh, As we say at Civic Ventures, and what we're talking about on this podcast is who gets what and why. And part of that who gets what and why is who pays uh, in order to support a thriving economy for everybody. And uh, that's, that's a question of taxes. Anything you hope the American people get for Christmas that maybe Republicans haven't thought about but can do in their closing days? (laughs) Well, they could wish that Congress close shop early. Um, You know, I think one of the things that that is pretty clear is the Republican Party at this moment is really out of touch with the American people. And whether you see this kind of actions that they're doing in the states where they're trying to unwind the victories of their opponents or trying to ram through budgets in the dark of night without properly discussing these things in the in the you know kind of open hearing process they're really pursuing this you know they're really pursuing a, a it's a dark path and i think what we want hoping to see is that if we have honest conversations about how we order this economy so that it works for everyone um, that is the kind of thing that you know people of all parties you know of all backgrounds ought to be able to come together to a table to discuss how to get this how to get this done and that just hasn't happened in a long time so obviously this podcast is called Pitchfork Economics. It sounds like what you're arguing is that the pitchforks actually did come for Republicans, at least electorally, in this last election. Can you speak more to what happened? Yeah, there's been a couple of expressions of these pitchforks over the years. Um, It's been building. Obviously, we had Occupy as a response to the 2008 economic meltdown. You then had the Tea Party in response uh, to the election of Barack Obama. And then we obviously had the debates that ended up happening in the 2016 election, and it depends on how you define these things. But clearly, Donald Trump, to a certain degree, was a reaction 
to this economy not working for people. Um, and then, the, you know, the thing of it is that these are, this is not an ideological thing. These pitchforks are represented on all sides. And, it, and, you know, I think you did see that people elected Donald Trump with the kind of fleeting hope that he was going to somehow shake things up enough so that this government would end up working for the average person. I think there's a lot of other complicating things related to Russia and other interventions, but there was a significant number of people who voted for Donald Trump with hope that he was going to make a difference in their lives. And then the first thing they did was try to repeal their health care. And the second thing they did was try to pass massive tax cuts for the very wealthiest people in this country. And so to, to uh, you know, I think pretty significantly there was a reaction to that, an equally populist reaction that elected Donald Trump throughout, you know, a record number of Republicans, the largest number of Republicans since Watergate. And a big part of that was because the fundamental thing that they had promised to do, which was to improve people's lives, just could they couldn't deliver. In fact, in many ways, they refused to deliver. There were a lot of options. They could have figured out ways to expand access to health care. They could have done infrastructure projects that were going to set us up for long-term success and created jobs. They could have designed a tax code that reduced the burden on the poor and the middle class rather than given, doing giveaways to the wealthy. Uh, they could have figured out a way to help with child care costs, reduce education costs, any number of things that are the burdens on the average family, but they refused to do that. They ended up fixating on the two things that their donors wanted, which was to repeal health care and to give donors massive tax cuts. And people revolted. They came back. You know, they called it the Gingrich Revolution in 1994. You know, this was a very similar kind of moment where you had a wave come through and toss out people that were not working uh, for, for the average American. So if you were going to title this revolution, it's not the Gingrich revolution, it's the... Oh, goodness. What is it? <laughs> um, well, you know, what I would really call it is it's the revenge of the middle. I mean, the middle, the middle class in this country is fed up with these politicians not standing up for their interests. And they stood up and they tossed them out, you know. I mean, I think that is the most important thing that we could learn from this election is that if you're not working for the majority of Americans and not standing for their interests, you're going to lose. <laughs>